This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, this is uh, Jay Harwich, the latest installment of Major Illinois Podcast. My special guest is uh, Dwight Gooden. Dwight, 1985 is a pretty good year for everybody, especially for you. And this month's August, a lot of good anniversaries. Uh, August 20th, you struck out 16 to uh, beat the Giants 3 nothing, and you go over uh, 200 strikeouts in the second straight year, and the, only, the first National League pitcher to accomplish that, and the first hit Herb score in 1950s. What do you remember about that game against the Giants, Doc? No, man. Thanks for having me on your show, Jay. First of all, um, we go way back. Um, that game was a special game. I was aware that I was going to break Herb scores. Um, the record, um, normally, during the course of the game, you try not to look at things like that. But when you get so close, obviously, you, you go for it. And, you know, playing against the Giants that game, obviously, you want to get the strike out and you want to break the record. And 85 was a special year altogether. But breaking that record and then, like you said, the first guy since the 1950s to do that, um, coming up just my second year, was definitely special. Um, it was a personal accomplishment. And it was great when my they stopped the game. The fans gave me a standing ovation. Like the interns came up to congratulate me. They try to keep your composure to finish the game. And once the game was over, as you always did so well, having the media during the press conference, it was great. I mean, a great accomplishment, and I'm just something that I can always look back and share with my my kids and my grandkids. Yeah, Chuck. I mean, look at you know a lot of great pitchers in Mets history and baseball history have had great years, but probably nobody can compare to what you did that year. You know, won the triple crowd of pitching, 24-4, wins, um, 153 ERA, 268 strikeouts, and you're the fourth pitcher in the history of baseball to be 20 games over 500 with an ERA of less than two. And Sandy Koufax is one of those, uh, uh, you know, those four pitchers. That's pretty good company. But, like, Doc, looking back, you come off of the year in, uh, in, in 1984, 17 and 9, rookie of the year. What were your expectations going into the spring of 1985? You know what? It was um, a situation where I was still like the youngest guy on the staff, but just considered as the ace of the staff coming in my second year. There's a lot of expectations from, you know, the team, the media, and especially for myself. But I remember going into spring training, and all you kept hearing was the sophomore jinx. Be careful the sophomore jinx. Guys for their second year, you know, league. It's on to these guys. They've done the scouting reports. It ain't going to be as easy or you're going to have more struggles in the second year. And then on top of that, I remember David and Mel wanted me to work on a changeup. They have a third pitch. And I didn't like throwing my changeup. I was never comfortable with it. So David got to the point because I wouldn't do it. Every other pitch, he said, you got to throw a changeup. I would do it. And I think the hitters called also with the pattern. And I had a horrible spring in 85. And they just were talking about sophomore jinx, sophomore jinx. And Part of that kind of debated me because once the season started, David said, you're right, that changeup is garbage. Put it on the shelf. We're not going to use that. And going into that season, we had just got Gary Carter. I had a great 
I was playing with Gary, you know, just talking about things we like to do. And the first game, I opened up my, it was my first pick league, um, opening day start at home against the Cardinals. Fifth grade, got another decision. That's when Gary hit the home run. And that game, you know, anytime it's opening day, it feels like a playoff atmosphere because it's sold out. Got all the free games, ceremony, and all that stuff taking place. And I was actually excited about it. And I, mean, I knew going to that year is going to be different with the hitters, you know, but also after my rookie year, I had experience myself where I learned the league better. I was more comfortable um, in that. And having Gary, an also a catcher, an experienced catcher, played a big role in my 85 season. Yeah, yeah, Doc, just talk about Gary for a second. Uh, you know, he, I remember him, you saying all the pitchers said the same thing. They didn't really care if you went 0 for 4. Hey, Gary kept going over for as long as the pitchers won, he was happy. What did he mean to such a young staff for you and Sid and, and, and Ronnie Darling? I mean, he treated everybody differently, didn't he, all, all the pitchers? Oh, he did. Gary was great. Um, and it was nothing against, you know, I mean, we had Mike Fitzgerald, um, John Gibbons, these guys, we were going to train around Hodges. But having Gary come in, I always thought better than catcher, but a very competitive guy. And Gary was great dealing with the five different personalities, you know, and that's what a kid had to have. He has to communicate, and he has to know those guys because each pitch is different. Like with me, sometimes he always wanted me to pitch like the score is one nothing. Even if I was up ten nothing, like Alex here Fernandez, sometimes you got to pat him on the butt and let him know it's gonna be okay. Um, Ron Dolan, he had to challenge him sometimes. But Ryan was very smart. Bobo Hita, a veteran pitcher. So Gary was great with dealing with different personalities and. And you're right. Most times I've had catchers where they're not hitting. They really don't want to talk. And you can see the way they're still behind the plate. Gary didn't care if he was 0 for 4 or he was in a slump or whatever. His main objective was getting the best out of that pitcher that day. Um, very competitive, real fiery guy. And the thing I like about Gary the most was between innings, if he wasn't hitting, he'd sit by you and he's talking about what we're going to do the next inning to um, face those three guys, how we're going to pitch him. And what he's thinking, and he want to get feedback from you as well. And also, off the field, we spend a lot of time together. And just communicating, so he gets to know you on a personal level as well. And you don't see many catchers do that, but Gary was one of those guys, it didn't matter if he was hurt or whatever, he would do whatever he had to do to make sure he was there to play for you. Hey, Jack, I know another guy who meant a lot to your career was Davey Johnson. When Davey uh, was hired in 1983, you know, he's a brash guy, didn't really need a job. He's a millionaire, a real estate guy, but he re- that took a chance. He's good enough for somebody who struck out 300 batters in 1983 not, not to take a chance. He was not adverse to putting a, a young guy like yourself in a rotation when I know from first-hand experience a lot of people in the front office didn't want you to come up. And what, what's your feelings about Davey? Oh, you're right. Davey was a great guy. I'm glad he's doing well. And the thing is, I met Davey in 1982 when I was 17 years old. I got drafted, and I started my career in Kingsport, Tennessee. Davey was a roving instructor at the time. And the one day he came to Kingsport, I just happened to be doing my bullpen work. And Davey came over, and he was challenging me. He was like, let me see a fastball down and away. All right, let me see a curveball down and away. You see a fastball up and in to the righty. I mean, he was showing me different things. And, and it just happened that day, I was on top of the game and throwing the pitches and showing him. And he was like, man, that's pretty amazing. You sure you're 17? And then the next year, I went to Lynchburg. And I got to a slow start. And David was coaching in Tywood, football. Like, got to a slow start. I threw up 4 and 3. But then I turned my season around, you know, going 19 and 4. I got called up to AAA for the playoffs in the World Series. 
I pitched great in the playoff, and then I won the final game in the World Series for Davey. They said whoever he managed the following year, he's taking me with him. So I said, wow. At least I'll be in AAA, you know, as I mentioned, and I can take that. George Denver to resign, and Davey got the job. And I remember that, that winter in November, I was in the Russian League in St. Petersburg, and Davey was down there and just jokingly, I said, Davey, remember what you told me? He said, yes, don't worry about it. I'm inviting you to Spanish training as a non-Russian player. You're coming with me. And so I did get invited to Spanish training, and I remember all doing Spanish training. After we start, the media would talk to me and say, yeah, it's great, but they say you probably won't go to double A or triple A because of your age. They don't want to rush you. Um, and then the next day, I would go into Davey's office. I said, Davey, if I'm going to triple A or double A, I said, don't worry about it. Let him talk. He'd come with me. And I heard that all through spring training until the, the last day we were playing at, um, in St. Petersburg. And Davey said, um, congratulations. You made the team. You'll be my number five starter. Yeah, and yeah. that was one of the greatest things I can have to see with my father because, you know, playing baseball was my father's dream and then it became my dream. But Davey was really the reason why I made the team my first year, and I mean, my first spring training in 84 as a rookie because it was a non-roster because of my age. The office wanted me to go by AAA for just because of my age, but David fought for me and David believed in me. Yeah, you want to justify his face, Doc. So in 85, you go 24-4. You're still the youngest pitcher at 20 to win the Cy Young, and you're still the youngest pitcher that, you know, uh, August 25th of this month, you, you won your 20th game. And I know you've had a, a good relationship and watch closely, uh, you know, our, our current Cy Young Award winner, Jacob DeGrom. Uh, last winter, you gave him the, uh, the, the, his Cy Young at the Baseball Writers' Dinner. Well, what, do you, what makes Jacob DeGrom tick, Doc, in your mind? Oh, Jacob's awesome. Alfred guy, cool guy, great demeanor on the mound. And what I mean by that, you don't know if he's up or one nothing, or he's down 10 nothing. He's the same expression. He takes the ball the other day, he pitched. But it's better game, but he found a way to get through with five innings to keep the team in the game and get the win. You know, great pitchers find a way when they don't have the good stuff to win or give a team a chance to win. That's what Jacob does. And he has a lot of pressure on him because he's the ace, and when he takes the ball, he's expected to win. He's expected to go seven innings and keep the team in. And he's he such a challenge. And it seems like it's almost impossible. It seems like he's getting better and better every year. I just like his competitiveness when he's having stuff on the mound and he has such a challenge. And you know, he's one of the great pitchers that ever pitched for the Mets. Yeah, as you, as you were, Doc. You know, uh, 85 was a lot of good things happened. And as crazy as you may seem, we win 98 games and don't get in the playoffs. We go down to the last weekend. If the memory serves me correct, we're in St. Louis. And Friday night, Stroy hits a home run up the clock to get to Kent Daly. You won the next day on Saturday, and we, and we lost on Sunday, and we wound up winning 98 games and being in second place by three games, but unfortunately, no wild card back then. Just imagine that. You win 98 games, and you have to go home. You know, back then, it was only two divisions, and we came so close to doing that. And if we'd have had a wild card thing back then, I'd say it would have been the playoffs from 84 to at least 90. Uh, we had great teams, but unfortunately, it wasn't the way. And once you get in the – like, you hear people all the time say, you guys think you left um, rings on the table. I mean, you know, Jay, it's hard just to make the club. And once you make it, a lot of times it's the hottest team to win, not always the best team. No, and no, no, if we could have got in, who knows what could happen? Because we had a great pitching staff, and pitchers yeah. will win, but unfortunately they didn't have the wild card. Yeah, that. I know one rule you're probably not happy with. The new rule is that pitchers don't hit anymore. Guys hit a home runs occasionally, get a key hit, win a game for yourself. But 
What do you think about the fact that the pitchers don't no, hit the hard duck? I, I, I don't like that rule. I always say that's a, that's what separated the National League from the American League. Now there's really no difference with the DH, and I like the National League strategy more when the pitcher is because you know it's more of the managers. It's like a chess match. You know the double switches, the button, in the run doing different things. And our pitching staff, we take a lot of pride in our hitting. On the road, most take us out early. We work on button, work on hitting. A lot of times we take two days of band practice. The day before you're pitching, you get to take band practice, and the day you pitch, you take band practice. We really work on that. And so I'm not saying that now. I guess it's great for the game, but I would definitely miss that. I like the pitches yeah. to hit, but I, I understand where they're going. Um, hey. There's been a lot of rules changes, but hopefully they don't change too many. Yeah, I hear. Hey, Doc, before the COVID uh, swept the nation, you did a lot of uh, charity work visiting kids at Hackensack Hospital, which is a great hospital in northern New Jersey. Hopefully when, when this dies down and when we get back to a little bit of Norbert, do you hope to continue to visit the kids in the, in the hospital? Yeah, it's hard to get back to that. It was a great thing I was doing there. I really enjoyed it. A good friend of mine, David Jerry, um, got me set up over there. And what I do is go visit these kids. And, it, it is, and it's heartwarming. You know, you see these kids working on the machine, they're battling cancer, they're fighting for their life every day when they should be playing sports or going to school with the other kids they haven't found their friends. But unfortunately, they're going through the struggle at that time. I know what that's like. And going there and just trying to cheer the kids up for a couple of days, and if they're able to get out of the hospital, you know, I take them to a Yankee game or a Met game, whichever way they like, just to get them out and show them that, there's somebody there that really do care for them and want to help them any way they can. And even with their parents, when they come, you want to distract them a little bit from they're going through, you know, you watch some games that's on TV, you talk with them and the other siblings as well. Just to kind of cheer them up, you know, it's tough for them at that time. And once the, the Kobe stuff is all over, I like to go back there and continue what I'm doing. I really like it. It's, it's great to go and spend time with kids and their families just to show them that, you know, I do care. Hey, Doc, so in your career, you, you won a Cy Young, a rookie of the year, uh, made all-star teams, uh, uh, you know, pitching no hitter. But for me, you were the best eater I've ever sat next to at a, at a table, Doc. No question. We, we had this restaurant. We used to go to Ron's Japan in Chicago. Doc used to have the Rusty Saab and, some, and Vinnie Greco, some of the other guys. Lobster tail appetizer. The only problem is you have to eat the sauce. It was like a nine-block split back to the hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, back. But false, you definitely couldn't go to the movies afterwards. That's false. You had to go back to your room. Sometimes you didn't make it to the room. You had to stop off. It was, stop yeah. off. Those are fun times. We were good team meals. I don't know who's a better eater, Doc. You were rusty. You both could eat. The thing about rusty I could never understand was, I admit, I got two two dinners, but I would get like a Pepsi. Rusty would get two dinners and get a Diet Coke. I don't understand who the Diet Coke comes from. I cherish those moments. I miss those moments. We had some great times. Yeah, we was, was going to eat a group of guys. I mean, it's like that. I went to Mets a long time, and the 86 team is kind of special for me because I was younger. You know, we used to, with all the different personalities, you guys let me blend in, and it, it was a good time. It was really, uh, it was yeah. a really good time to be around. And uh, uh, listen, I just wanted to say I appreciate your time. You're a good friend for 40 years. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, and Hopefully, when this is all over, I'll get a chance to see you soon again, Dwight. Oh, definitely, Jay. Keep up the good work with your podcast, and I cherish our friendship. Me too, love Doc. You, and I look yeah, forward I to seeing you soon, buddy. Thank you for Doc. Thank you for bearing with us today. Oh, yeah. My fun pleasure. Anytime. Okay. Picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.